0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the Going in Circles podcast network. My name is Charles Simon. I am the host of the Going in Circles podcasts. Today is a special Wednesday edition. Uh, we had a chance to get one of the, to me, one of the guys on Twitter that's uh, really important. If you're if you're an owner, or you're a trainer, or you're a a better in that. Okron keeps track of a lot of the racing data and he does it for himself, for his own edification, for lack of a better word. And he analyzes those numbers, and he's been keeping track of this information for, for years and years now. And his take is often different than the uh, you know, the message that we're getting from various sources in the industry. Remember, he has he has no real ax to grind and he doesn't really have a, a great deal of bias. He, he's really a guy that's a numbers guy that, that looks at the numbers and tells us what he's seeing. And uh, I think it's important to, that uh, you, know, you recognize that um, a lot of the information that we're fed is not like completely deceptive, but maybe just not quite uh, as good or as bad as it might seem. But uh, I was really happy to get him on, and, and uh, Chris gave us a, a lot of time and explained a lot of different, uh, a lot of different scenarios, and uh, talked about a lot of different things. And uh, I really appreciate uh, you know him giving us uh, as, as much time as he did. And I think if you're an owner or a trainer or definitely a better, that uh, there's a lot of good information for you to to hear. Um, We'll be back with O'Kronk. Hey, what's happening? Welcome to uh, Going in Circles. Appreciate you uh, finding time to join us. Cool. Cool.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Yes. um, I know you were a little hesitant about maybe doing podcasts and and it's understandable. But um, I thought you would be a great guest because you do a lot of work um, on figuring out the numbers. And I mean, this is a numbers game. The game is based on numbers. And unfortunately things have gotten very, very complicated in the sport where it used to be pretty much on track handle was, uh, was the majority of it. And and then as uh, OTBs and, and, and other such things started coming in and then we had uh You know in intrastate simulcast then a little bit more than a little bit more and now we're in a position where you know i mean especially since covid the vast majority of our handle doesn't come in um via the traditional methods um and you know you've been a great resource and i kind of said something to you the other day and i I said something to barry on the podcast the other day and that we we use your name and your numbers all the time so like you might as well have you here to explain the stuff yourself.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the numbers are just a mystery uh, to everybody. It seems, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, I just only keep track of the overall picture, you know, and and I kind of have been for a long time now, like four or five years, I've sort of said to myself, well, You know, you read these articles and it says, oh, handles up, handles down, handles up, handles down, record handle this. And, you know, you just kind of have this feeling that that isn't really what's happening. And, you know, I have I have access to the data. So why not just kind of like as an experiment, just keep reporting it the same way? over a long period of time. Almost like a standardized way of reporting handle. Right. You know, like the tracks, you know, they're always going to say, you know, things are going good or, you know, maybe we slipped up or, you know, and reporters, I, I'm sympathetic because reporters aren't equipped to deal with this, you know, they, they don't... They, you know they're not ready to get in the weeds on, you know, reporting handle,
0: and I don't blame yeah. them. <laughs> and the, honestly, you know, we we've seen where traditional racing media, for you know, for the most part, has disappeared as uh, newspapers, just you know, dailies, just stop covering racing in general um and i mean it wasn't that long ago that there you know you could get it, in the new york area especially newsday the post the daily news uh, all had um, more than one guy on the uh you know the new york racing scene beat and now there's there's no one so i mean you know the the the, the media and racing now is, is is shifted to more um unofficial means i mean we still have uh, you know matt haggerty works for the the drf uh, and, you know, they're, I, I guess, about as uh, neutral as a, as a site you're going to find these days, because most of the other reporting comes from um, places that are, you know, either owned by the track or owned by an ADW, which is probably owned by a track. Um, so it, it's there just simply isn't all that much reporting out there.
1: Yeah. And, you know, like with the handle stuff, I mean it's a very niche specialized thing, right? I mean, I mean, really, I just tweet out stuff and I would say what, maybe like 500 people in, uh, in the world actually care about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I mean, even 500 might be too high. It might be 50. I don't really know, you know, like it's not a, it's just a specialized thing that, you know, you just keep track of over time and, you know, Matt Hagerty has to cover the whole country, right? Yeah, and, sure. and and handle is just one part of it. You know, you, you you have all these other things. You know, and racing's complicated now. You have you have uh, subsidies. You have all, everything that's going on that supplies purses, and you know, it's just complicated. So, well, I mean, one way <laughs> that I take the complication out of it is you know, what's the overall handle and what, is it, what does it look like over time and just report it in the same way over time so that people who are following you can keep track of it in a way that is apples to
0: apples. Right, exactly. And, and I, I mean, I thought and I continue to think that it, it's a very, very much more important issue than um, racing people take it for. And, I mean, to me, anyone that bets in in any, you know, serious manner and anyone that owns horses, uh, and trainers as well. This is a very, very important. uh, This is probably the most important thing because all the other stuff, um, if we don't have people betting on the sport and there's no purses to run for, then all the other stuff is moot. And I think it's, it's easy to try to, uh, just kind of you know ignore this kind of stuff and figure it'll 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 work its way out. And there's uh, there must be smart people that are taking care of this, but unfortunately that's not always the case. And a couple of weeks ago I had Steve Scrunchy on, who's the the president of the HVPA down here in South Florida. And Steve is a as a uh, he's a player agent for for a couple you know prominent hockey players, Alexander Ovechkin being one of them. So he's not. Uh, a babe in the woods when it comes to negotiations and things like that. And it's taken him quite a while just to get his, his, his feet wet. And, you know, start to really comprehend where all the money is coming from and the different ways um, that it's divided up and uh, divide, you know, depending on where it was bet, where, um, you know, the source market fees and and there's just so many complicated areas that uh, it's
1: extremely it byzantine extremely Byzantine. Yeah. It,
0: it used to be really you know simple and now it's it's not only not simple it's it's at a point where we're not even sure where some of the handle is actually coming from and, and what those numbers really are and when you see like to me and, and i read your stuff a lot um and when i when it differs from what the the rice tracks are saying and what the national you know kind of media some of them are the the trends that they're trying to, to seems like promote and then i i read what you put out and i'm thinking to myself well we don't even know if those handle gains are you know where they're from are they really handle gains or is it a shift from another track is it is it just um you know uh, coincidence is it just be you know and you've made a lot of great points that I hadn't even considered like there's some months where there's five Saturdays in a month, which of course Saturday being the biggest handle date generally and other, you know, might be compared to a, a month where there was four Saturdays. So, I mean, that would certainly be a big difference and the trend that they may try to, to say is happening might actually just be the, the way the date set up on the calendar. Yeah. I mean like
1: January, this past January was one of those, uh, uh, weird, uh, you know, five weekend days versus four, you know, type things. Uh I try and use that adjusted number and it's not perfect. You know, it just it just basically just compares the same uh days of the week. And, you know, as we find as we found out in this post COVID time is, you know, the day of the week is it really matters for handle. Um, you know Saturdays are always going to be bigger than Sundays and it's been like that for a long time and you know Fridays are as big as Sundays Mondays and Tuesdays are smaller than Wednesdays and Thursdays and you know that kind of thing so the I don't really get I've been doing the month thing for a while and you know before covid I would say that it was very ho hum you know, like, you know, it would just go up and down a little bit and nobody really paid attention to it. And, you know, it's stagnant. Um, but this post-COVID uh, uh, period is kind of like uh, offered uh, an opportunity to like kind of reevaluate the whole landscape, you know, like this is a disrupting event and, you uh, you know it's 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 so I think more people are paying attention to the handle situation and you know the tracks you know the tracks are just trying to you know just say everything's you know I don't blame them for saying you know for accentuating the positive things I, I really don't um you just want to put a good face on you know whatever but this covid stuff you know when we go back to march and april and and go back to some of the reporting the reporting was well you know handle the per race handles up you know 170 percent or 200 and it always seemed to me as i was keeping track of it daily that you know the there's a finite capacity on the level of handle and you know it's kind of turned out to be true there would be a Saturday in May where there would be 40 races last, last May and it would handle, you know, like 55, 60, 60 million dollars. And, you know, now we're in February of 2021 and you've quadrupled the races and the handle still 55, 60 million dollars. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, and it gets to like what is the optimal number of races that, That handle can support, you know, I saw there was a horse uh, uh, owner who follows me who said, (laughs) who responded back then, you know, when we were talking about this and during the COVID period, the beginning of COVID, when it was becoming clear that as the races increase, the handle really wasn't going to increase. And, you know, he said the optimal number of races for horse racing is one. And you know, it might be. I don't know. I mean, we don't really know. I don't I I personally don't think it's one, but you know, it's it's kind of a sad thing to consider that it could be one.
0: Yeah. Talk about pressure. Yeah. People <laughs> you think jockeys are getting criticized now. Yeah, seriously. Wait <laughs> wait, wait till uh you know, there's just one race one race. <laughs>
1: One race a day, that's all you get, you know. <laughs>
0: well, we wouldn't we wouldn't have to sweat out these 14 race cards that they put out. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely the, the COVID situation. I mean, it was about 10 months ago now that, that we're looking back and we had literally five tracks running in the whole country. Um, you know, Gulfstream, Tampa, Oaklawn, Foner, and um, Will Rogers. And uh, it, it was kind of crazy to, to think, I mean, at the time it was, you know, an unprecedented kind of event in this country. And, and the fact that we were able to keep even these tracks, these few tracks running um, in the face of, of all that, that happened was, was probably, you know, fortunate because i I've, I mean, again, it was not for the these, whole Not history. everything these days is, is, uh, is, is cut and dry, and you hear a lot of, you know, this would have happened, this might have happened, this could have happened. But I think that those tracks staying open kind of uh, provided a template for other tracks to use when they brought um, their case to the the state or the local authorities saying, hey, look, this is what these places are doing, and they're doing it safely, and they're not having spikes and blah, blah, blah. Whereas if you didn't have another example of another place in another location doing it properly, then you know, who knows how, how far racing might've got pushed
1: back. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely very, uh, it turned out to be very important that, you know, those, those couple of tracks were able to demonstrate that, you know, it was possible to do this during this COVID period. You know, I remember, you know, one of the things that I, I thought looking back, I mean, I thought for sure that it was wrong to, you know, race and, um, you know, have this activity going on while you have so many questions about, you know, what exactly is going on with this pandemic, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. nobody really knew, you know, I mean, I'm here in New Jersey and, you know, we were kind of in the center of it when it started. And, you know, when you start seeing people, you know, around you dropping dead you know, it's kind of like, holy, holy crap, this is like, this is a weird thing. And we're going to have to like consider this. So I mean, my inclination at the time was, wow, they really probably shouldn't be racing. But you know, it turned out that, that it was really good that they were because <laughs> as we've seen this COVID thing drag on in the arbitrariness of, you know, what can stay open and what can be closed you know it, it having that open at that time turned out to be you know a template for you know New York New York is very important for racing New York needs you know racing needs New York California racing needs California and these are places that you know i mean if you take them out of the equation uh you know the the overall the overall handle picture would be yet you know, would definitely be smaller than it is now. So, sure. uh, it, it yeah, having Oaklawn and Gulfstream open uh, hugely important. And you know, there were some trickle down effects too. I mean, Fawner handled what? I don't know, hundred million, a hundred million. That's insane.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they would usually do a like six. Oh, I,
1: let me see. I. I, I let's see what did they do they did 7 million on 265 races in 2019 and they did 107 million <laughs> on 346 races in 2020 insane insane
0: i bet I-, I actually made my first fun part back last year I-, I i i jumped in one day and after about three races i jumped right back out but uh I, it, it's not I mean I, I hate talking politics I just don't it's just um, uh, there's just no winning no yet. there isn't but it, it's not it's not a coincidence that two of the tracks were in Florida where it's kind of a free-for-all uh one is in Arkansas where you know I'm not even sure that they realize that there's a pandemic yet and the other two were were in uh, you know Oklahoma and Nebraska so uh, you know, certainly, if this was uh, on the coasts or places that were hit harder, they probably wouldn't stay out open. And, and I know Billy Badgett at Gulfstream, he literally was was, you know, spending hours and hours and hours a day fighting the local authorities. It wasn't even the state authorities that, that were giving them a lot of hassle. It was the um, the local authorities mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, we're really just, there was one in particular who was, uh, one lady who was like, like 21 years old. And I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a vice mayor, but she was like adamant that she wanted to shut it down. And, and, uh, you know, thankfully for, for the people here, um, you know, was able to stay open. And I mean, the one thing about backsides are they're they're, they're kind of self-contained places already and people live there. And that's the one thing that you don't have in, in, in other sports and then the NBA kind of copied that with the bubble is that the people um, who are working with the horses for the most part outside of the jockeys, they live there, they're, they're there anyway. So, um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it was just kind of a strange thing, but, you know, as the tracks open back up, I think one of the themes that you had mentioned about, um, you know, and you just mentioned that there's, there's a ceiling of, of, we're handled just isn't going to break through. It doesn't seem. And like you said, there's an optimal number of races and and now we're at that same point. And um, I think it was a great analogy when you talked about opening day of Santa Anita, how great they did. And then you compared it to five years ago and, you know, you, you showed the differences that five years ago, aqueduct was open on that same day. And and that, uh, they handled eight or $9 million and Goldstream um, did a couple million less. And there was, a, a, you know, four or five different tracks that weren't operating on the same day. So in, in the end, the total handle, which is something that doesn't get talked about that much, um, you know, as individual tracks jurisdictions, you know, promote or kind of uh, deemphasize the, their own handle um you know like you pointed out the total handle for that day was still virtually the same yeah
1: i mean i mean just look at 2015 total handle in the whole industry you know it's the same as as it was in 2020 basically i mean I, I mean, you could slice it up any which way you want and you know ration, tracks and horsemen should look at the way they're slicing it up to maybe see if there's marginal gains that you can make through scheduling and sharing big days and stuff like that but the overall number isn't really going to change unless you you know unless you really work on the customer and betting side of it and you know if you go if you go back and read some of these articles that got a lot of play in mainstream press you know, around April and May about how racing was a success story and the, the per race handle is up, you know, there was talk like, Oh, what are we going to do to, to, for these customers? Well, I mean, really nothing happened, (laughs) you know, nothing really happened. Um, if they're, if we're reaching new customers, what are we going to do for them? Well, you didn't really do anything. Uh, you know, I mean, I like to say you know I've been betting I've been betting racing for 20 years and you know the sports betting industry legalized in 3 years ago and they know way more about you know what would make me bet more versus the racing industry <laughs> you know they just we're not focusing on the customer and what would make them bet more and until that happens you're going to have this kind of like stasis where, yeah, sure. Great. You know, Santa Anita hit a record uh, on their opening day, but you know, overall it was the same handle number on that day that it was five years ago. And overall for the year, it was the same number five years ago. So until you start working on that, it's not going to really improve.
0: You know, I had a interesting Twitter discussion the other day with a friend of mine a good friend of mine and it was about and, and some of this is probably just uh, uh nitpicking about language but um he was making the comment about um racing losing revenue from the slots you know pennsylvania's trying to take the money and this and that and i said well when you really look at it only one segment of racing is losing their money and when you take the tracks no track is 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 in danger of losing any money which i always thought was a little bit odd but um the tracks get in most places a greater share of the proceeds from slots of course you know they're they're operating a business they're they're building infrastructure all that we get all that but when it's talked about, well, racing is going to lose its its slot money. Well, it's really only the horsemen are losing the slot money. And my take has been that why would people expect the racetracks to step up to try to um, make customer service better, do a better job um, for racing, the racing betting menu, the takeout, the uh, all, all the issues that we have—the you know the, the the suspect trainers, the questionable races, the odds changes, the all of the problems that we have on that side—well, and my, I guess my final comment was, if the racetracks were losing a portion of their money from the slot proceeds, I would think that they would be a lot more proactive in trying to beef up the racing side. But in the end, uh, there are tracks, especially the Pennsylvania tracks, where I'll be frank. I don't really think that they're all that concerned if they love racing, and 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 they might actually be be happy. I without. mean,
1: of course not. I mean, you know, of course, you know, your the comparison is it's difficult to run something like racing. You know, I mean, you have to have this big track. You got to house all these animals in this urban setting. You got to have people live there. You got to turn the lights on for the customers. Uh, you know, you're only able to have x number of races a day versus just open this building and turn these machines on and serve people drinks. You know, I mean, there's no comparison as far as like the the, the business. You know what I mean? Of course they're gonna, no, <laughs> they're, of course no, they're right. gonna want to. And especially when you see people prefer you know, to play slots versus, you know, betting on horses and listen, I think horse racing is not like a small industry. I mean, there's still 10, you know, $10 billion bet on it, but it it can't compare with, with slot machines. You know, it's just not even a, even now, I mean, when you look at Vegas and the numbers, I mean, penny slots are just like enormous compared to, uh, you know, sport, something like sports betting or even table games, you know, and the same thing is true in New Jersey, you know, as time has gone on and, 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 and electronic gaming or, you know, you know, slot machines on your phone are, are bigger than, you know, sports betting even. So, you know, those are trends that are just, you're not, you're not going to, racing is not going to be as big as, you know, slot machines.
0: No, no, never. And, uh, you know, the, the, the sports betting thing is something that I've tried to pound this home, um, you know, both on the podcasts, on, on social media and in person to people. And, you know, my take on that is, Ben, listen, guys, you thought slots took some of our business? Well, slot players and horse players really aren't the same demographic. I mean, a guy that's sitting on a, 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 I mean, this isn't to like, you know, criticize slot players, but they're sitting at a a machine and they're punching a button every 30 seconds. And the thing goes around and they punch it again. It goes around. It's not uh, a game of much skill. There's there's not uh, much strategy. There's not much uh, thinking needed to be done. There's you just keep pushing the button and you, you either make money or you lose money. And I mean, sports betting is, is a totally different animal and yeah, there's been sports betting available already, um, you know, through offshores and, you know, guys named Vito, but it's, it's a totally different thing when it's a legalized um, activity. And and now, you know, they're expanding where most of these places are are letting you bet um, online. So you know your your low your your regular guy your kid growing up who's 18 20 25 years old he's going to be really familiar with football and baseball and basketball and hockey and whatever and racing it just you know i, I saw one article written by a, a racing publication about how we need to get sports betting because we can draw from the sports betting crowd and i'm thinking to myself well you know, there is no legal sports betting crowd out there. There's a big, you know, there, there's a racing crowd and, and uh, you know, the, the opposite is, is more likely to happen. At least it, it seems to me that we, we would likely lose handle to sports betting as opposed to it, uh, you know, gaining traction and, and you know, those guys getting, getting yeah erasing. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've been following this hardcore in New Jersey, you know, I live here. And, uh, you know, Jersey's kind of like the, the first frontier for this expansion. And, uh, you know, the handle for racing has, uh, has, has in the state has gone down. Um, not, yeah. not crazy amount, but it's outpaced. It, it's, it's definitely outpaced the nationwide, uh, declines. So it's declining faster in New Jersey than it is in the rest of the country. Um, so, you know, that's a little bit of a cause for concern. I would say, you know, you would, you would think that people, and I'm guilty of it too. It's just so much easier to, you know, I know I follow basketball. I follow football. I don't have to put a lot of work into it to, to, to have a good punt on something, uh, for these sports. And now, uh, you know the these the offerings have become uh so so much more than what Vito was offering <laughs> you yeah. know yeah and and i think yeah, that yeah. is a real uh that that should be a cause for concern i mean you know when you look at something like fanduel with these same game parlays i i just see it on my twitter feed you know former horse racing uh, junkies Like myself, are just going. I'm not one of them, but I see other people, you know, going wild on these like 12-leg same game parlays for five bucks to win like 20 grand. I mean, it's the same. It's the same bet, like all these pick ends in horse racing. And what is harder to hit? You know, (laughs) what is harder to hit? One of those bets or one of the horse racing bets? You know. Horse racing, yeah. horse racing to no do and it right was, uh, re- requires, like it requires work.
0: Um, and, and that's and that's where, uh, to me, uh, um, I'm a little pessimistic that the tracks are willing to do the work because, uh, in a lot of ways, and this is this is not just from you know experience down here. This is from talking to people in uh, in a lot of other jurisdictions. The tracks seem to be looking for that that silver bullet that's going to kind of you know change the tide and I, I don't think that exists and I, I don't think any other gambling industry has is, is got uh, a worse connection to its customers than, than racing does and um, I mean I, I don't I don't like to be critical if, if if people are really trying if they're trying to do something but I've seen so many areas where the product, the actual on-track product has suffered and the tracks haven't really done anything. And in the end, people blame the horsemen for a lot of stuff, but the horsemen aren't really equipped to do much. Remember one thing that, that people forget, that, that we're, the, the tracks are our landlords mm-hmm. as well, and they control the betting menus and they control... Um, who gets the stalls? What races are written? And, and they control a lot. And we're at a point now where, as horsemen and horsemen's organizations, which you know, as I said earlier, just aren't properly set up any longer to to um, represent the horsemen in these negotiations because it's just gotten way too complicated. And horsemen are. Horsemen's groups are, are usually made up of a couple employees and, and mostly volunteer boards of people that have other jobs. yeah they got so, other
1: things to worry um, about you know they got they got people on the, they got yeah, people so, on the backside so, to deal with they got you know I mean it's just I get it I get it but uh, you know at the same time uh, you're gonna have to figure it out you know <laughs> you got to figure something out
0: yeah and that, that, that's my frustration. My frustration exists because I talk to trainers all over the country and they know I'll say something. Oh, <laughs> well, listen, a lot of trainers, I mean, prominent trainers, like guys you would think, you know, uh, don't want to rock the boat. And they also don't want to aggravate, you know, management because in a lot of ways, they're getting a lot of stuff handed to them already. But a lot of complaints of, I can't get racist to go. I can't get racist to go. I can't get racist to go. And that we're talking from the top to the bottom. And. You talk to, um, you know, people who are writing the races and and putting the schedules together and they say, well, no one wants to run. No one wants to run. No one wants to run. And like nothing has gotten done. And, And I mean, one of the worst things in hindsight that happened probably was the proliferation of condition claiming races where, you know, it used to be claiming horses were classified only by price for the most part. And now claiming horses are classified mostly by condition um condition first price second and that that's really created all these subdivisions within each class where everybody wants to run in a race where they're going to be five to two or three to one i you know i worked for tom skiffington for a while uh, a couple of years and, and he was a great horseman but tom skiffington was ahead of his time in that he had a lot of turf horses, and tommy hated to run if he was five to two or more he just wanted to scratch And, you know, he was one of the first guys to pay attention to win percentage. And um, well, you're seeing that 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 is that. Yeah, you're seeing that
1: um, manifest itself in in the actual betting, too, because, you know, that that right there, I you know, I, I kind of did a morning coffee query maybe like two years ago now it's been a while since i looked at this but just the amount of words that are in the conditions of the race have you know increased dramatically whereas you know 20 30 years ago you would have you know for three-year-olds and up non-winners of one race you know now yeah now now it's now Hmm. it's that has become three races in one where there's non winners of one or 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 or. or. (laughs) yeah and i actually (laughs) just did an analysis just how many words are in the conditions you know versus now versus then and it's gone up i forget the number i would have to look it up but it's gone up and it hasn't gone down and you know, this manifests itself in really bad ways because what winds up happening is you, you, you do, you have these races where there's more, even there's more odds on horses and, uh, you know, and then that starts and then that manifests itself. Well, oh man, all of these computer teams are, you know, like they're just pounding these horses, but you know, here's the thing. Those, those horses, aren't are winning at the same rate that they were before you're just writing more races for them. So, yeah, you you know, and even money horse and even uh, horses that are less than even money, you know, I mean, there, there was half as many of those races 20 years ago. And there's twice as many now. And mind you, during this time, we've lost half of our races overall so i mean you, w- what it is is you're you're not putting a product out there that is that people want to bet on <laughs> you know I mean,
0: what i mean no i i think that that's funny that you said that because i think that is is something that people don't realize and i think when you look back and you think about where racing was maybe 20 25 years ago and then you look at where racing is now like now we know everything about every every horse everywhere and Back in the, you know, the old days, I hate to make you feel old, but, you know, back in, even in the nineties, there, there was virtually no full card simulcasting um, available like it is now. And I remember when New York started to add like one race on Fridays and Saturdays, like a feature race from somewhere else, just one. And, you know, it, it morphed into, you know, more and then then new york was doing uh, they were taking their races and mammoth's races and then you know next thing you know well you know you're, you're seeing races from everywhere and i think that's part of the problem that we have in that it sometimes it seems like there's more issues that, that happen but when you were at a track in 1995 you only knew what happened at that track and there was no social media to alert you that a horse just broke down at uh, philly park or um you know, that there's something happened somewhere else because it wasn't in your purview. And and I think that one of the issues that we have is that there's so much information out there now that, um, you know, when, when you have a card of, of race like Gulfstream today, you had six turf races. discarded for today and it poured down rain all day yesterday. Right. So you, you got oh. your card gets wrecked. So people say, well, you know, I'm not interested in betting, you know, three, four horse fields. I'm going mm-hmm. to look somewhere else. You didn't have that ability to do that, you know, years ago. And, and it's just, uh, you know, people are, are you, can, you can be, uh, uh, you know, more, more crafty about, like, you know, where you decide yeah, to, yeah. to make your bets.
1: I think, you know, this is a major difference between the way the tracks view their customers and the, and the way that the customers view racing. You know the tracks view their their customers says, oh, we'll put on ten races and they'll bet all ten races. Meanwhile, I think for horse players who are engaged at the level uh, that we need other horse players to engage in, today is just a collection of races. Where they take place is mostly incidental to the player. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, all that matters is, you know, today might be 50 races and, and the horse player might find four that they like to bet on, you know, and right. that's the whole thing. The, the, the better is taking the whole, the whole schedule and treating it as one thing. Whereas, you know, the, the tracks view their uh, schedule is their own thing and somebody else's is their own thing but I want to kind of go back to the point that, you know, about, you know, what you were saying about the multi-level conditioning, you know, I, I pulled this up because I tweeted this a while ago and it kind of like flew under the radar, but you know, let's just look at one to nine horses, right? So in the United States and thoroughbreds and, you know, 20 years ago in 2001, there were only 35 races with one to nine horses and 28 of them were won by the one to nine horse, which is 80%. You know, last year there were 215 <laughs> horses who were one to nine and 179 one. And that's, you know, 83%. And, you know, 2018, it's 121 for 158, 76% and all go down the line. And the win rate is, it's, it's like this across all of the odds spectrum. So if we go to even money, you're going to find the same thing. Um, you know, and I think that this is really important because it, it kind of throws a lot of cold water on a lot of the narratives in the industry, you know, like we have like, Oh, elite is taking all the money and you know, they're, they're killing you and you know, they're evil. I mean, Elite didn't exist 20 years ago. You know, if a one to nine Mm -hmm. horse is winning at 80 percent, you can't uh, you would think that if Elite was killing them, that they would win at you know, 86 percent or 90 percent. We don't find that. You know, it's the same. It's the same thing with Even Money Horses 2001. 2,520 races with Even Money Horses, 1,046-1, that's 41%. 2019, you have 1,977 races with Even Money Horses, 816 that's 41%. Now, mind you, in 2001, there were 55,000 races. In 2019, there's 36,000 right. races. So, you know, I mean, this stuff matters, you're not putting on a product that people can bet on. <laughs> it matters.
0: And I'm telling you, Chris, if you put out a poll to racing fans just across the, the, the board, what year ran more races, 2000 or 2020 or 12? Well, you know, 2021, not because of you know COVID or, or you know, make, make, it, mm-hmm. make it the year before, mid 2019. I would say 75% of the people would say 2019. They think that we're running more races than than we're we used to running. And, you know, the industry has been yeah. contracting for yeah. a long, long time. And when people come to me and they say, well, I, I think we just have to cut things down. I said, well, we have been cutting things down. So you're going to cut them down to a point where there's nothing left. And the problem we're seeing now is that, um, you know, we've always heard about, well, we're going to wind up with eight super tracks. And you say to yourself now, well do we even have eight super tracks to have? And, and, uh, it seems as though, um, you know, miss, miss, miss Stronach, she, she would probably be fine if, if the tracks, her tracks stopped running and they were just a big ADW and, uh, you know, had the machines where they had them and the Churchill downs outside of the Derby probably wouldn't be all that, you know, all that upset to, to not have to run racetracks and then just take the content from someone else's for their ADW and, 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 you know, with all their other interests and certainly the Pennsylvania tracks, I don't know the people in Delaware are all that committed to racing. And, and um, you, you just start to say, well, like, okay, well, who are going to be the people that actually operate the yeah. tracks?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's interesting when you start talking about like the big, like who's going to do it and what is it going to look like, you know? I mean, there's. It seems like there's kind of like three different approaches by the the three main racing groups, right? You have Stronic with Gulfstream, which is like a year-round meat and potatoes uh, racing, where they're focused more on on quantity over quality, and then you kind of have nairo which is sort of like in between, you know. Th- Kind of like has an identity crisis where they want like the best racing, but you you can't always have the best racing you you, you, you if you want to run 2000 races a year, you just can't do it if you're going to only focus on $20,000 claimers and up and. And then you have C.D.I., which is sort. Of, it seems over time has kind of like shrunk. Every is going to like shrink everything into Kentucky, right? I mean, Arlington is kind of threw in the towel last year. Uh, they bought Turfway. They kind of have these eyes to make it a year-round circuit and turbo boost it with, you know, the slot revenue to make it competitive. Uh, I personally don't think this, the purses matter in this picture. Um, You know, they matter in the sense of, yeah, you know, the the horsemen need money to figure it, you know, to run a stable, but it's not going to change the overall trajectory of, you know, the industry. If you, you know, if you give, you know, like, what are we really talking about here? And when you look at California, you know, you see, they lost I don't know something like thirty million dollars in purses uh, in, since 2018. Uh, and you know, if they had that thirty million dollars in purses, if you just gave it to them, would it would it really change anything? I mean, I, I don't I, I don't think it would. No, no.
0: You know, Chris, we're, we're I, I, this is something I've said to people when they say, well, you know, purses, you know. higher than people will come yeah some people will come but they're going to leave somewhere else so uh, yeah if you added 30 million to the purses in california and and got them a little bit higher that's fine that's great for the guys that are there but where are the good horses that currently you know would be moving there where where are they now and and that's what seems like it happens as soon as uh, a circuit gets better purses that they draw from other places and yes they're doing better now but the other places are doing worse so for the overall industry it's not really benefiting i think that that's kind yeah of yeah it's not really say, i right? mean
1: th- this thing where yeah. the purses in this jurisdiction got higher so we have to raise ours it it hasn't served the industry well for the last 20 years you know it really hasn't and you know i i don't have anything against uh horse owners and everybody in the industry who has their hands on the horse getting more money. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But at some point it's, it's kind of like self-defeating. I mean, what is it really doing for the industry? What is it, what is it doing? You're not making more horses. You're not, you know, in some ways, some of these uh, at at the top tier, uh, the top of the chain The horses are racing less um, for more money, you know, so you're in in a way incentivizing them not to run. Um, And there's this kind of like uh, this kind of like snubbing their nose at the lower levels, which, you know, the lower levels take care of all the messes that are created at the top levels. (laughs) And, you I, one thing yeah. that I really think that I believe in strongly, and I think you know some of these top level tracks like Stronach and Naira, and they they really should be looking at some of these lower level tracks and figuring out who who is the healthiest among them, who runs a good operation, what is sustainable, and then just create a federation. You know, a minor league and a major league. And their minor league tracks, your Satellite Federation tracks, run on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And, you know, and the the major leagues run on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And you see this kind of like at all levels of the industry. You know, you see the fighting with the Lasix and the not Lasix and the Whips and the not Whips. It's sort of uh, like this internecine battle that's happening. Uh, where it seems like both sides want only one solution, you know, either, either, or uh, it, and, or, but like there's no, there, there can be a way that both can exist. You know, the, the horses who are starting in Naira eventually make their way to other places down the chain, you're all sort of linked. So figure it out. And it's good for the horses too.
0: i i completely agree you know because it's you know what racing is like racing is like uh, in in the in the movie where the teacher the substitute teacher walks into the classroom and and everybody's talking and they're you know throwing the paper paper at each other and you know goofing around and, and, and playing around and no one's paying attention to the teacher that's how i feel sometimes in this business in the That we're in this room and everybody's got their own agenda and everybody's doing what they think is good for them and they're fooling around and they're they're not paying attention to anything and I think that we need someone to come in and step on the you know slam their 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 book on the desk and say all right everybody shut up and pay attention and let's try to figure this out so that we can um, not only you know survive but to to do it better because the way we're doing it is so fractured that it just doesn't make any sense. And uh, you know, I don't know that there's any organization or any person that I know of out there that, that's able to, to really, to do any real leadership because the jockey club is not leadership. The jockey club is percenters that are, that are staring down from the ivory tower saying you're going to do this. This is why the yeah. system got so screwed up because they just refused to bring anyone else in to discuss it. It was just, and, and it was a constant barrage of, of, of scorched earth policy. And, you know, like the, the, the NTRA, um, the, you know, the, the ARCI, this, that, and the other thing. I mean, nobody really has power. And, you know, people talk about a commissioner and it's, well, yeah, in sports, a commissioner, I all work for the owners. And the owners own the team. And the commissioner owns, for the, works for the owners and the referees work for the owners. The players work for the owners and the guy selling pizza. He works for the owners. Everybody works for the owners here. It, it's so it's like hurting. Well, cats, you, know, you know,
1: I think it is. It is. And I also think that all the parties would benefit if they would just explain, you know, what their vision is. You know, like I, I don't hear what the jockey club's vision is for what race, what they think racing should look like, you know, is that when, and I mean like putting a specific number on something, you know, like how many races should be run in the country? Uh, You know, like how many horses should be, should we be breeding a year? You know, put a number on it and then the other side, put a number on it and find out, you know, what's sustainable and what isn't a lot of it is just so mood affiliated at this point. You know, I use that term a lot on Twitter. It's just mood, you know, like the stuff with like, I mean, you could pick any topic. They're just matching uh, what you want to some sort of mood and not, you know, to some objective reality.
0: Yeah. I I, I like that. That's actually a great idea. And that no one the I've actually never even heard anyone even say that. Like, what is the optimal number of races that we want to run total? What? How do you divide that out by uh, jurisdiction? How how many horses are we going to need to have sustainability? And how can we, we structure the conditions so that, uh, like you said, there's a major league and a minor league? Because right now, in a lot of ways, the minor league people are paying for the major league people, uh, you know, Martin Panza came out, I think, a year or two ago and said, um, you know, in, in their numbers, they're seeing about 80% of the purses goes to 20% of the uh, the people. And and I said, yeah, probably closer to 90, 90 and 10. So, yeah, like you said about purses, purses going up, it's it's not, you know, fundamentally bad, but you're just feeding a small group of people and everyone else yeah, is starving. Yeah. so. I mean, this is why I'm skeptical of, it's a, good, of a lot I mean, just look of the
1: at the- slot, uh, you know, races. Because what winds up happening is is you take a, a four hundred or five hundred thousand dollar grade one races, and it's just so much easier to make that a one million dollar race. And you know, meanwhile, that five hundred thousand dollars can can support, you know, if you took the difference, you you could support a couple weeks of racing at the minor leagues. And you know, you have this is not like some like you have a huge still. I mean, twenty thousand horses you're producing a year. That's a huge number of horses. So you know, you have to think the whole the whole ecosystem of it is it's a huge number. And I I, I don't know if anybody's really even paying attention to it. You know. <laughs> It's just so much easier to just say, yeah. oh, just make that I race million-dollar race and blah, 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 and we'll market it and we'll, you know, whatever. Go ahead, have fun. But we've been doing this for 20 years and we're nowhere.
0: Uh, you know, Barry and I have been, uh, we do the one show on Monday night and we've been stumping for a while for the Breeders' Cup to put together some sort of series to make their races make more sense, to have... Um, a year round or maybe not even a year round, but six months where there's kind of a road to the breeder's cup where you would get these horses in, in you know, the, you would make the races make sense. There'd be a, a path to each race because in a lot of the, the races that they have, there's, there's really no path. It's just a hodgepodge of races. There's no real, um, there's no real incentive to, to race against other better horses everybody's looking to duck and duck and duck and and when you get to a classic race like the triple crown or the breeder's cup well there's no more ducking and those are great races because of it but you know racing when you go back to the racing in the past when we didn't just have a breeder's cup to kind of you know win or take all almost in some cases like there's just no way that things are attached and to me, it, it just makes perfect sense that you would want. I mean, the one thing that that has proven to work in, in horse racing is the big event days, and that they, they do seem like, uh, even though yes, we all know they take away from the other days. And, and Saratoga, you know, having some of their you know stake, some of the days. Uh, I mean, I remember Saratoga was every day there was a graded stakes every single day. And of course, that was you know when they had twenty four days, but. But it just seems to me that you could create a lot more um, sustained interest, and uh, you know, kind of make things more uh, streamlined and make sense if you did something along those lines. And this is the top top of the game that gets, of course, way more um, attention than than it, it probably should. But yeah, I I don't think that that's. That. I mean, I can't. Get- I can't even get it one to Yeah, I don't even think though. that
1: that's even doable, you know. I mean, I, I I I don't. I because, you know, you have all the big uh, outfits, they control all the horses and, you know, they're they're managed to a certain level. You know, I mean like Chad Brown or Todd Fletcher, you know, they 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 might have 200, 300 horses. And, you know, those horses are managed to those three or four starts a year, which is, you know, what they're getting, what you're getting out of them. Um, I think there's not a lot of return on increasing that from, say, you know, three or four starts a year to five or six. I don't. I, I I just don't see like a way that to, I don't see an easy way to get there and I don't, I don't think uh, I don't think that there would be like some like bonanza in interest. If you did, you know, the bread and butter horses <laughs> are where the racing is making its hay. <laughs> you know, it's your seven year old claim, you know, 35 lifetime start claimer. Um, who's going to make 10 starts this year. He's going to generate more handle than, you know, a random Chad Brown horse is going to. And in the overall picture, I would say that racing should focus on, you know, what can we do to get those horses healthier and racing? You know, we, we, you would say that this is horse racing. You're breeding this horse to race. And a lot of the things that have come up in the last couple of years with safety and welfare and all this stuff is, there's no safer place for a horse than the racetrack, you know? I mean, you're, once you get the horse out of the racing system is where the problems start. So I would focus on making the whole racing system healthier for the horse so that they can race what you, do, what you made them to do. Just work on that. This isn't that difficult uh, of an overarching goal, you know?
0: No, it, it it isn't, but it is because people f- hyper focus on the good horses, and that's you know that that's like you said it when when you look at the business of racing that the the meat and potatoes horses. Um, it, it, it's always funny when when you you talk about you know you look at the the, the breakdown numbers and you look at uh, a twelve horse sixty two five claimer does, uh, you know, with a $16,000 purse, does $1.4 million at Goldstream. And then they'll have a five-horse, uh, uh, you know, stake. Yeah, There's and that's fifty thousand. That, <laughs> that isn't you know, an, an anomaly. Like,
1: that's the reality. I mean, that's what's happening every single day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I think that the betting is important, you know. I get the increasing feeling that a lot of people in the industry don't think it's important. And, you know, you tell me, do you have you, did you have any horse owners that weren't betters? <laughs> did you have any, any, I mean, you've touched almost all parts of the industry, right? I mean, aren't, isn't everybody betting?
0: Yeah. It, it's amazing that a lot of people aren't. And the people, and, and and you know, I'll be honest, and I'm not going to point fingers or anything, but I would say that the one segment of the industry where the least amount of people bet yeah, of course. is racetrack management. And again, in some ways... They can't. I mean, the director. you don't want your director of racing out there, (laughs) you know, betting a lot because it's, we're not talking about that, but I'm talking about even the people above them on the food chain. Um, Yeah, they're they're not really, it's not only that they're not allowed to bet, it's just they just don't have any familiarity with that world and they don't understand the way those people think because, um, I mean, listen, I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, everybody knows. For for years and years and years, people in this industry looked down on betters. They took them for granted, and they they considered them just kind of uh, you know a necessary evil of sorts. And there are still people that are that are feel like that. There are people that just you know are interested in the Saturday afternoon races, and they they could care less about mm-hmm. pretty much anything else. Um, but the you know the people that crunch the numbers have. You know that they certainly are seeing um you know the things that we're seeing that field size matters i mean field sizing field size mattering has only been um a topic that that's that's out there in the, in the public's view the racetracks talk about and admit for not, not that long i mean yeah racing secretaries knew that it mattered but you still had a lot of people who were were saying the people want to bet a six horse field of quality over a 10 horse field of junk, even though that's not true. That was their logic and no one was coming to them and saying, well, here are the actual numbers. You're, you're not right about that. And that's part of the problem in horse racing is that I think it's great that that you are actually doing the numbers and putting them out there because (laughs) there's almost no one else doing this. and, it it, it seems like nuts because you look at some other sports and and there's always different. I mean, I think there's 15 different methods of, of analyzing, like trying to come up with a sheet number for a basketball player, you know, like a a wins above replacement or or a value above replacement player or a player efficiency rating. There's a million different, um, you know, every, you know, a bunch of different people have developed their own numbers and in racing, like we have so little, um, analyzation of the business data as a whole because there is no um i mean there's really no authority created to oversee all of the numbers in racing i mean everything is individualized by track ownership or or jurisdiction and um you know like when you do the numbers and you start to look at some of the trends and you just wonder um are the tracks themselves looking at those national trends or just their, their own bottom line? And, and, you know, when, when you're, and this is something that I've, I've talked about a lot, you guys got to remember that the guy who's sitting in a GM's chair or the, probably the, the president, vice president's chair of a, of a track, these guys don't have 20 year contracts and they are, you know, paid to keep the, the, the bottom you know, line um, solve it and, and and moving in the upward direction so yeah they're gonna have t-shirt days to boost attendance numbers and they're gonna you know they're gonna do what they need to do It might be a short-term um you know fix but in the long term won't be a good thing because you know their first priority is probably to themselves to stay employed so you know that that's thing that and i tell horsemen i say listen we're in this for the for the for the long haul right like you're not going to just quit training next year, so like you're saying, I want things to be better as we progress in five years and ten years down the road. I go, you remember the guy sitting up there? If he has a couple bad months. Well, hell, he might get fired. So you know, it's 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 kind of a quandary as well. If if the people at the top of the food chain aren't making the calls, um, or aren't aren't kind of um creating the culture of hey, okay listen like everyone gives oak One a lot of praise and they've done a lot of great things um you know for racing but they have a huge advantage in that they have 12 months of slot revenue and virtually no competition so yeah they can throw money at a lot of stuff and and they've fixed up the backside they've done a lot of the things that the other tracks you know aren't able to do but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean they've come up they've reinvented the wheel there You know, and I think that's part of the problem too in this business is that everybody wants to, oh, look how great they're doing in Kentucky. Oh, look how great they're doing in Oakland. Well, yeah, because they have, you know, alternate sources of revenue that are are driving that. It's not the racing per se. The racing at at Oakland certainly is better than it used to be, but not that much.
1: You know, when you look at the handle numbers, it's, you know, pretty, uh, when you take 2020 out of it, 2020 was kind of like this, this, uh, especially for the for for the end of their meet when they were yeah, you know 20, the 20, only 20. ones racing and they were you know doubling their daily handle records and stuff like that but you know they they're right now Oakland is uh you know for the year before all these cancellations they were just you know running the same number of races the handle was pretty much exactly the same as it was last year you know this a little, the field size was a, about the same. The purses are a little less than they were. You know, it, if you don't work on changing the actual product, you're not going to get any different results. <laughs> you're just not. And uh, you know, well, Oakland has some advantages too. You know, we racing is very much seasonal uh, game and when you're running in January and February, uh, you know, the majority of races in this country are run in June, July, August, and August. And, uh, you, they're on the, 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 the non-busy time. So in this time where people are interacting with racing at home and, you know, not going to the track and not going to the simulcast center and, It it just becomes magnified uh, that, you know, there's only 50 races a day on a Thursday, whereas a Thursday in July might be 150 races.
0: True. And, you know, Oakland has the advantage of, of not having turf races. Yeah. So there's no off the turf races. I mean, if if you send a horse to Oakland that 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 needs to run on the yeah. so you've you made yourself a, you know a big stake. So, um, I mean, I think that that probably matters too because uh, at least for the field size and that you know you're not going to get like like today the like Gulfstream is a perfect example. They just get the field the card gets crushed because because you know you have sixty percent of your races on the turf and. And you you got a, a ton of scratches just for no other reason. Yeah, I mean the
1: field than, size uh, will always be good. Weather, Oklahoma, so. uh, strictly because uh, there's just so few options. Yeah, I mean, the horses aren't the horses aren't seasonal, right? Yeah, right. You, you, there's all right. you 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 have a X number of horses ready to run, and you know in January and February that you have three times less opportunity than you do in June, July, and August, or even the spring. You know. Yeah, that, that's why grip, I was sort of like a, a little confused by <laughs> their move to uh, expand into, you know, April and May. Uh, if anything, they probably should think about going from December to to March or April and not the other way. Because, you know, by the time April and May come around, there's just so much racing. And, you know, you you, you didn't see this last year, but the first year the handle numbers weren't as strong as they raced later into the, into the spring. So, I mean,
0: yeah, I was a little, I was questioning, you know, the move going into that because they, they draw so many horses from Kentucky. And of course, you know, once April starts, they lose a bunch to Keeneland and, and uh, you know, now Churchill's purses are going to be pretty much on par with theirs. So, it it seemed I I guess maybe the weather might be something that they just don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the exactly deal is sure, there. But, uh, I, was, I mean, uh, I I think part of it too might have been they just they have they literally have so much money to give out that that yeah uh, you know it's supported having having more days. Um, let me ask you quick. I I know you you know you got to probably go in a little bit, but um. Mm-hmm. Odds changes during the race. Like, it's something that, um, it's something that we didn't, you know, we weren't accustomed to. This wasn't something that happened. The only time it ever happened in the past was when something, uh, you know, really, really wacky happened, and and somebody put a, you know, some huge bet at the last second. And, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like it happens a lot these days. Uh, I mean, is there a, a, a way that, I mean, do you have any ideas about a way that that can at least be mitigated a little bit where um, you don't see such drastic changes?
1: You know, I don't, I think that this is made out to be like some sort of like boogeyman scenario where people think there's like games being played and, you know, I don't really think that there is. Um, we had the exchange here in New Jersey and you know, granted, it was not on the uh you know the premier tracks uh and i i played the exchange you know from day one until the end and you know one of the things you learn is is there's not going to be a lot of there you're going to have your races where you do find value but the exchange is just going to be close to tote at the end of the day and uh i don't really i think a lot i think a lot of people have spent way too much time thinking about well this horse is three to one in the gate and goes off at nine to five and like i said earlier you know the nine to five shots are winning at the same rate the same strike rate as they were before all of the adws came in uh so right there, that just tells you there's nothing crazy happening, <laughs> right? I mean, if a nine-to-five shot wins at the same rate right. as it did 20, 30 years ago, there's nothing crazy there happening. I do think that it's symptomatic of the shift toward uh, everybody betting on the phones, on, on their computers. You know, I look at my own behavior. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, I would sit in the yard at Monmouth and maybe make my bets at, you know, five minutes to post and have a reasonable expectation of what, you know, the the price of the horse would be. Uh, And it wouldn't shift that much. It was kind of like steady, uh, you know. And now everybody, you know, most of these races, 60, 70% of the money is coming in in the last minute, minute and a half, you know, that's going to (laughs) affect when you have that much money coming in at the end, that's going to affect crisis and it isn't just the teams you know it's all of us we're all i mean we're all sitting on our computer betting as late mm-hmm. as possible
0: <laughs> i know it, it's it, it's the truth you know I, I bet the metal lands a lot on fridays and saturdays and uh in general the, the mm-hmm. feed i get is about 20 seconds behind so uh so i'm I'm always trying to wait you know and uh, until you know they start their countdown clock, and then I'm trying to figure out you know how late I can wait because the odds there you know they change sometimes they change a lot at the end and and, and lately um uh, um Dean put had did, did something the other day a little little article about um how there lately the late money has just been varying mm-hmm. you know forces, and they're all winning like you know. Like it's just you know you're trying to bet you think a horse is pretty fair value at three to one and, and you're getting three to five and it just yeah I a, just don't I, I I don't but um you're right though you know you're waiting to no. the last second I, I yeah. never put a bet in with three minutes to post I just never do unless it's it's gonna be like a um you know a, a horizontal bet but um <laughs> it's the truth I mean we're all waiting till that last minute and. And what, what do you think, like, like in regards to that, like, what did you make of Gulfstream uh, and Laurel being down so much in, uh, in January vis-a-vis last year, considering those are the two places um, that they. You know, uh, I don't, kind
1: of, I, I have, Gulfstream. I don't follow Laurel heavily. So I haven't really looked at their, uh, they've been on like a slow march of handle declines, Laurel, uh, in the past like year or so when you look at, you know, like the, the per race per interest, that kind of thing. Uh, it's just, it, it hasn't, it hasn't grown. The Gulfstream thing is, Mm -hmm. is when I looked at it on Sunday, uh, or after Saturday, you know, they did 20 million in handle with on Saturday with, you know, that big force out, they are exactly where they were last year. So they made up a little bit of the, the, the that they felt in, in December, um, you know the post time thing to me it's just courtesy you know I mean everybody just wants you to not walk behind the gate for 20 minutes or whatever it is that they do you know I mean this isn't that hard everybody sort of agrees that you should
0: so it, it, it was it was funny at Goldstream on Saturday the, the, the one race that did um, seemingly a an abnormal amount of handles the race where the horse got loose Yeah, <laughs> and delayed. Post-time. In many so, ways, you know, for
1: the, for the, um, uh, for but, uh, the more sophisticated betters, having a fixed post time is, uh, is actually an advantage in my opinion. Um, you know, because that's just one less variable that you have to, you know, take into account. um, but you know, I mean, Gulfstream's just doing what they always do. I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the top tracks, you're, you're you know, like Gulfstream and and uh, Aqueduct and Santa Anita. It, it, it's going to be harder for them to increase handle versus you know places like Sam Houston or even Fairgrounds or Tampa. Um, it's just harder. They are already doing a lot of handle. So, I mean, it's harder for them. It's harder for Gulfstream to right. increase their handle by four or five percent than it is for Sam Houston or Tampa. So, oh. it just straight matter sure. Yeah, it just it just matters. You know, especially now where it seems like the uh, the the B and C tracks are kind of fighting it out on the weekdays and weeknights. And they've seeded the weekends to the A tracks. You know, we we've seen this now for a year where that's gone on, and you know, the A tracks really haven't increased their handle in this at the same rate that the B and C tracks have. And you could chalk that up to scheduling, I think. You know.
0: Yeah, I noticed that you had pointed out an error that Charlie Hayward had in his numbers when, mm-hmm. when talking, um, talking about, uh, about Handel uh, last week. And I guess they, he, they, Yeah, he the, I, you the know, I've been kind of
1: following correct. this thing with uh, Naira Betts, you know, because it seems like there's an article every month that is like a glowing, you know, vindication of Naira's strategy, you know, with television and Fox and you know all that other stuff, but you know when you unpack the numbers, it's just not there. Uh, you know, like let's talk about Naira bets. I mean, it. They don't. They don't say what Naira bets has done. Uh, Naira doesn't say what how Naira bets is doing. They just say you know they they give some like some some like non uh you 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 can't check out the numbers you know they just say oh the viewership is up and signups are up and you know 80 percent of the people are redepositing funds and you know these are numbers in a vacuum you can't really check them out to see if they you know add up the big question has always been like what is naira Bet's like overall handle and You know, I read this article by Charlie Hayward yesterday and it was the first time I had seen anyone in the industry or anyone who writes for like industry publications who would actually put a number on, you know, what Naira Betts handled in 2020. And uh, it seemed high to me, you know, 900 million uh, is a big number for an ADW that's so new. And, you know, if it was 900 million, that would be, it, it would be pretty good. You know, <laughs> that's a pretty good number. But, you know, it turns out that it wasn't, and he corrected it. And, you know, when we look at the ADW world, I mean, uh, I think the number that he, he, uh, he came up with was, you know, about 200, 220 million less than, you know, whatever number, 877 million so it was around 600 million. I, I you know, I got to say I think that's a pretty decent number for a relatively new ADW and he also added some other stuff in the article correcting it saying that Naira bets had grown year over year uh 48% and you know, that's that's pretty good. It, you know, um overall ADW's uh from what you could extrapolate based on the uh, the Oregon hub data, they were up 2020, it's gonna come in, we don't know the last quarter yet, the numbers, I guess they get published in another week or so. Uh, It's gonna come in for those Oregon hubs at around 6.5 billion in total handle. And that would be uh, about a 49% increase uh, as a whole, over 2019. so Naira Betts is growing mm-hmm. at the same rate that all the other ADWs are growing. You know, the big boys like TVG and Express Bad and, and Twin Spires and stuff like that. And, you know, it's worth noting this, you know, um, this has been a growing thing. So like COVID just exacerbated this stuff. When you average out the last like 10 years of ADW growth, it is in that, you know, 10, 15, 20 percent range. Some years it's been as been as high, you know. Twenty seventeen, it was up twenty five percent. At just at the, this is just the Oregon hub. You know? And I also think that this kind of like throws a little right. cold water on the elite, you know, elite or the teams stuff. You know that there there's stuff that goes around now that says, oh, the teams are you know thirty five percent a handle or forty percent a handle. I mean, these numbers, it's just bullshit. There's no way that, I mean, just at the Oregon hub, they're going to do 6.5 billion and that that's, those aren't, that's not elite. lead. Uh, so at 6.5 billion out of 11 billion total, I mean, granted, it doesn't include harness. Harness isn't going to be that big. It's only going to be about 10% more than, uh, than the thoroughbreds. Uh, you know, I mean, that would mean that like every other dollar that's bet, is elite i mean uh no i don't think so so uh i think we need to temper or or at least be realistic about you know i don't think teams like elite can bet 35 percent and and be viable they just can't it it, does the math doesn't work
0: Yeah and I think I think one of the things is that it's it's hard to put a face on them. Um, it's it's just kind of a nebulous, you know. Uh, they're of, just you
1: know, they're just players, uh, you know? they're just market making, you know. Uh you, you know, their their deal is is betting right. the differences, you know, racing provides, you know, many markets on one race. You have know, win, play, show, exact a try, super. This is just opportunities to, you know, make all of the pools efficient, um, and they're willing to bet. You know, they're willing to bet twenty percent or whatever the number is. I I would guess it's between ten and twenty percent, never really straying far above twenty percent of all, you know, the the totals on each race. And so if you have a, a race where $100,000 is bet total, they're going to be in there for their 20,000 spread across the various pools. And, you know, their goal is just to win like 22,000 in the race to get back 22,000 out of their 20,000, 21,000. And, you know, half of the races, they're going to get 18,000. Sure. The other half, they're going to get 22,000 back. And I think the common misconception is, is, is that, you know they're they're required to do this for all the races, no matter how shitty the race is. So, you know, we could sit here and say, oh, you know, really? they're, they're they're sucking the money from the pools or whatever. It, you know, I don't know. I get the I get the choice of when I want to play and how I want to play. They don't really have that choice. They got to play all these freaking races and. <laughs> You know, it's work. It's work.
0: Right, right, right. That's that's a good point. They're playing that, into every race, point, that, that <laughs> even the steeplechase races. race. And that yeah, they don't have a yeah, choice. So they're, they're not picking and choosing. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes that make that does make a lot of sense. Do you think it would be better if um, the tracks were you know? At least the, the groups that that um, you know were a little more forthcoming. What the groups like? What they what play? they actually play would be a little, not yeah, the yeah themselves. No, I mean the tracks that you know kind of said yeah I, I do mum, and no on on how much they actually bet, and if if they're only really betting fifteen or eighteen or twenty percent or ten percent or whatever it is, w- wouldn't it behoove them to say, hey, listen, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about these guys but this is what they're doing they're, they are you know like i said they're market makers in a way and they're, they're playing every race and and this is the amount of money you know approximately that, that they're handling and you know uh, it just seems to me that if, if they really aren't doing 30 35 as you're saying they're likely not it would be better for the tracks to um try to get that narrative uh you know washed away I mean, because it seems like it, it's something that that is uh, and maybe it maybe it doesn't really translate in, into many dollars and cents, but it's just a negative narrative Then, if it's not true. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I don't no think, in, in you know, the, it to, the to, common to
1: narrative, which has sprung out, you know, among. Even the tracks to a certain extent, you know, you've seen Naira the last month say, oh, well, we've kicked them out of the jackpot in bed and we're taking the jackpot and making it a straight whatever. You know, I don't know any horse player when you go back to 2019 when they started this Empire 6 jackpot business. I don't know any horse player who said Naira needs a jackpot bet. I mean, do you know anybody who said that? But when you go, when you go yeah. and read the not press a, releases at the time, person. you know, you had these guys at Naira saying, oh, well, we listen to our customers and they love the 20 cent minimum and they love the jackpot and the carryover. Who the hell are these people saying that? And no, I, I think
0: so. The the racetracks see other racetracks, they say, Oh shit, Goldstream had a big carryover. Yeah, and, and this is and this was, is where, this is where extra, I think the teams, and they have, you know, an like why aren't we doing that?
1: The jackpot bets. They do. They they do. They just know how to play them and they leverage right. their capital way better than the rest of the public. Because I, you know, we we will never know this number, but there's got to be a significant portion of people playing these jackpot bets and playing them as straight wagers. And they aren't, they're a whole different beast. And, and it's, I I just, and now, you know, after Naira has seen the damage it has wrought where, you know, some of these teams have come in and we've seen this for years now, you know, where it gets close to payout day and all of a sudden it becomes a really viable wager for well-capitalized groups to play. Because the math start the math starts making sense, you know? <laughs> it really does. Right. And you know, I I I I think we've been a little little ill-served by demonizing the teams. If you just tell people what's going on, like there's no harm in that. You know, uh, this is why I'm a little skeptical of the fixed odds stuff, because it's just going to be like the exchange and people are going to be disappointed. You know, they're not going to get a ton of value. And if you start finding a ton of value, you're going to get limited and you're going to get piggybacked and you know, that'll be the end of that. I, the exchange never really took off simply because uh, it just was the tote. you know? I mean, you would be like, oh, this horse is three to one on the exchange, but he's ten to one on the tote. Well, guess what he went off at? He went off at three to one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not like this isn't rocket science. <laughs> right. I,
0: right. Do, do Do you think if the exchange had had, had a lot more? No, it had. It had the, the enemy, overseas I mean, players too, which to made New it really presence, difficult. Right? It, it made um, it,
1: it made it very difficult you know i mean okay i as just me joe blow i'm paying 12% on my winning you know 12% commission or you know whatever the number was uh it's not significantly better than the wind pool at mammoth um and uh you know right yeah 12% was the rake that, and uh, you're going the, you're you're competing rake. against you know uh players overseas who are paying like five percent and uh you know i think for some of the exotics and stuff like that uh just for win wagers it's it's tough to overcome you know for me i could pick and choose my spots uh but you know market making is market making and their spread at five percent is uh way better than my spread and what i'm able to play at 12 percent so
0: uh, right uh, you know it, it was it, i never really had a chance to play and, and when it was uh, you know when we talked about it, i thought this might be something i'd be interested in because um I, I can't tell you how many races i'll find a favorite who i just don't like bad favorite sometimes a, an overly overwhelming overwhelmingly bad favorite you know and and then i'm like well i, I don't really know how to capitalize on this you know and if I had a way, if I could just, you know, offer that favorite, you know, he's three to five. I don't think the horse has got any chance to win. I'm going to offer him an even money. Um, you know, yeah. do well doing that I horse. mean, I... you know, it never really panned out because we, we never. We never had an yeah. you know. Uh, 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 I actually never think the having the exchange trying, which, would be kind of... an eye-opener
1: for but, um... many of the people who are complaining about, uh, you know, odds drops and stuff like that. And especially for what you just said, because, you know, laying a three to five shot requires you to put a precise number on the horse's probability to win. Obviously, a three to five, the horse is going to win. Close to fifty percent of the time, maybe even more. So, I mean, half the time you are going to be wrong and lose your money. Right. More money than you would have gained from him losing. So you have to be precise in your uh, sure. in in your pricing, and it would force players to put a number on you know what that is. You know what is the price that this horse is going to lose. <laughs> it isn't as simple. It isn't as simple as you think. And uh, you know, laying right. was very difficult for me to, to to figure out at first. And it wasn't like it wasn't a, a money maker, <laughs> put it to you that way. What was What was moneymakers for me was I would always find, you know, (laughs) the 10 to one shot who was 18 to one on the exchange and the tail horses, you were always getting paid better. Um, you know, the horses who were longer were, you always were going to be on the exchange versus the tote because the favorites, the favorites were just going to be bet harder, uh, marginally harder than the tote, like, you know, not significant, but just marginally. So when you talk about going from like eight to five to nine to five, you know, nine to five on the show versus eight to five uh, 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 or even money on the exchange, uh, that's just going to create longer prices on the exchange for the longer horses. And if your ability to distinguish between a 5% horse and a 7% horse is good, you stand to make money, you know, much harder to much harder to do it at, at 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 laying three to five right. shots, no doubt. No.
0: And and fixed that uh, know fixed odds wagering, it just seems like you're going to run up against. Um, I mean, maybe just I don't know. I mean,
1: have we seen it yet here nonsense. in the U.S.? I mean, it's been three years. <laughs> it's been three years. I would have thought uh, racing would have made no. or. More- some track would have made some moves to make a deal. Uh, it just seems racing the tracks are happy with being licensees for operators, and you know, I, the other thing,
0: it just seems like there's more there's more risk associated with fixed odds, um, where if if uh, a guy got a, a big bet in on a horse at a misaligned price it's gonna cost the track and you know they, I just think that the way that things are set up paramutually, tracks you know, are in no position to, to be running I mean, to be running there's not a lot of, of risk they're just not where I mean
1: we see this at the way they run their 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 betting menus for paramutual. they're not going to be running uh fix odds books they're going to contract other professionals out to do that and many of them will be the same teams betting in the paramutual pool so you know I I don't I think the main question for racing and sports yeah. betting is what does does racing want to be on the menu in the sports betting apps for the big boys like you know FanDuel and Flutter and DraftKings and are are they going to be on the menu or are they not going to be on the menu? Right now they're not on the menu. I mean are they going to be on the menu? We don't know. So And I've never really heard anybody in any of the the tracks really say, I mean, are there going to be a single wallet? We've been talking about it for three years. Is it going to happen? Yeah, yeah. I kind of flip-flop on that. At first I thought it would not be beneficial. But uh, now I think it'll be. I, I think there's no denying that. the the, the amount of money that's involved is large enough that you would think that there would be some interest. Uh, you know, I think about when COVID hit, I I had all these uh, legal accounts and they had all had money in them and now there's nothing to bet on. And, you know, these companies were, these companies were pushing, you know, come bet our blackjack, come bet our, our casino games, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Racing was not a part of that, and uh, you know that's a big loss. <laughs> that's a that's an L. Right. You took an L.
0: I, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. if you don't, if you're not part of it, then you just risk getting left behind and just being, you know, become so marginalized that you're not even, you know, you're not even a player anymore. And, uh now now Did they? FanDuel, right? Fan Duel bought Fairmont Park. Um mm-hmm. yeah, so FanDuel purchased Fairmont Park and I- I'm guessing because Illinois seems like they're just, you know, throwing open the doors and you know they're so broke as a state that they just have to get money anywhere, which is what you know kind of what led to the Churchill um, you know, abandonment of Arlington Park by uh, you know, by, by admitting that they had been, you know, lobbying for slots there for seven years, you know, kind of under false pretenses um, because essentially Illinois said, well, whatever you want, you can have. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we're, you know, we're going to pass, but, but, but they did buy Fairmont park and I'm sure they didn't pay a whole lot of money for it. And I don't know um, if that was just to have a leg up in the state for, uh, for sports betting, you know, or, or whatever kind of legislation that, that may or may not get passed, um, because it's hard to believe they actually want to operate a racetrack, especially at that level. But um, they they've said that they've committed, you know, some money to the place, and they're going to bring back like the the St. Louis Derby, and um, I guess they're going to put some money into purses to try to attract some horses there. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't have to be a whole lot of money because you know purses there are like. Let's see. Let's I mean, see. I, think I have. Run Let's see for like what seven thousand bucks or something. I think like they that, did okay so.
1: last year. Let's see. Fairmont in twenty nineteen did twelve million in handle on two hundred eighty one races and two million in purses. In twenty twenty, they did seventeen million on two hundred thirteen races and twenty million in purses. So their handle of the purse came back to earth a little bit. Um you know, TVG is sort of the the uh, TVG, Fanduel, Flutter, whatever you want to call them, Betfair. You know, it's all the same company. They're, it's really a question like what is what is their strategy in leasing? You know, I don't I don't know. Do they they shut the they shut the exchange down in New Jersey, and uh, it doesn't seem like that's going to uh, be a thing that they are going to pursue long term. And I think that's really bad for racing. Um, and they really haven't made a lot of moves with, uh, you know, racing in general. Uh, uh, they've been focused on their FanDuel sports book and growing that. And I think Fairmount it would probably be just another part of that. You know, it's a place they could, they could have uh, brick and mortar retail sports betting. Probably uh, a place where they can acquire a license in Illinois, uh, relatively cheap compared to some of the other options in the state. And uh, you know, I mean, the racing isn't big there. I mean, how, how how much is twenty million dollars to flutter uh, to support a couple couple hundred couple hundred races a year season yeah, seasonal right. track? They could have the track open year-round for sports betting and. I think Fairmount is kind of like on a border, right, with another state. Yeah, so I mean, Missouri probably. Yeah, with uh, yeah, Missouri, mi-
0: it's right across the river. Yeah, so from, uh, I mean, mi- what's Missouri sports it's the St. betting like?
1: I mean, is there sports betting? I,
2: I don't. I mean, so know. there you go. I mean, honest, yeah, sports really betting don't. currently not legal in
1: Missouri. Uh, Uh, doesn't look like you would think the makeup of the state would lend it to not being you know one of the next states to be legalized so you'll have people coming over from missouri and betting on sports
0: yes sir well chris listen uh it's been it's been great and uh i appreciate your time and your your honesty and we'll of course continue to uh to use your numbers to to try to uh, get the most accurate information out there and um, yeah. Yeah. see what trends really nice transpire really, uh, over the next few actually months. Actually,
1: very nice, pleasant afternoon.
0: Well, yes, appreciate that. And uh, <laughs> I have to go back to dealing with uh, misguided truckers. I tell you, you know, it's it's so funny, like you get stuck in one business and, and you know, like I was, I mean, I've been in the horse racing business my whole life, essentially. And I'm, I'm you know, doing this other project and it involves um, having to deal with, with uh, the trucking industry. And I thought horse racing was screwed up. <laughs> I mean, these guys are never on time <laughs> and they're, they're all over the place. And like, I thought, well, you know. It's got to be, I mean, they have to have GPS on these things. And, you know, the the truckers are only allowed to, you know, run a certain amount of hours and they have to, you know, take eight hours off, blah, blah, blah. Man, like, I the trucking industry is is, is ripe for somebody to come in there and and, and get it organized. Because, I mean, today I had a truck that was so smart morning, 8 a.m., showed up today, 1. (laughs) You know, like... (laughs) <laughs> that's like a racing
1: Our racing mirrors, mirrors the wider, wider world you know i mean but, i think um, it isn't just racing uh, that screwed up our whole country screwed up so
0: <laughs> unfortunately that that is that is true so <laughs> again i appreciate your time and uh and and your, your 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 forthrightness and and uh i mean hell we've been on for almost two hours so uh so it's really it's great. I appreciate you coming on, and um, hopefully, uh, when, when we have another ad, uh, question, yeah, we Thanks for future, having me. You'll be uh, willing to pop back on here. Ah,
1: oh, can't wait till this is over this winter.
0: Right. Great, stay warm up there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I believe me. Are you a Jersey uh, guy? Where you I, from? I, I remember New Jersey in the winter. Don't don't. Oh, okay. Up. No, I, I'm actually from Saratoga, but. Um, you know, I bounced around. I left Kentucky and I, and I was in New Jersey for like four years. Uh, I had horses over at parks. Then I had them at Penn and we had a uh-huh. training center over in Mount Holly, right across the river from Philly. And the last year, and this was one of the reasons why I left was I had like 26, 27 horses in training between the two spots and going into the Monmouth meet. And in, in, in that year uh, they, they, They ran, uh, they started Kentucky Derby weekend. I think they they ran on Fridays and then Saturday. Uh, So they were running early that year. I had five starts on the year because of the weather and the inability to train. And, and, uh, you know, that's one of the issues that, you know, guys at Oakland are dealing with. It's not just that the the track, um, you know, has been, uh, been, uh, you know, incapacitated. It's that the horses, in a lot of cases, and haven't trained I know people were complaining about them closing you know canceling yeah, this Yeah, and so, yeah, you man, know it's a it's, seven a, seven, eight, it's nine a whole days. different story down there like, I mean up here we're prepared for stuff like
1: that you know so when we get like a foot of snow you know it's going to mess you up for 12 hours yeah. but you know after the event is over everybody knows what to do I mean places like Arkansas and Texas when they get stuff like <laughs> that they don't know what to do <laughs> they don't have any idea what's going on
0: no. I can tell you though, even as prepared as everything we are sucks. North,
1: everything sucks. <laughs> in this, in this <laughs> everything weather, sucks in this weather, especially now with does. COVID. Everything it just sucks. does. <laughs> I mean, we don't know how good we had it uh, this summer.
0: <laughs> someday. Uh, Do you know someday, when? Someday, Chris, you we'll know be back to normal maybe. But um, again. I know but uh, <laughs> you could probably find i might bet someone bet on, <laughs> on One of those exchanges is put a number on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would I I would lean over to.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to take over. <laughs> uh Yes, yeah, my pessimistic nature. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thanks for having again, me for on having, your show. Thanks uh, for Thanks for having me on your show. Thank thanks for thanks for uh for for giving us uh, like literally, you know, a couple hours out of your day and uh uh, well, like I said, I, I always look forward to, to seeing your. Thank posts. you, thank and, you. Uh, I usually learn thank something. Which is, all right, which take is, it uh,
2: easy.